Well, good morning, and welcome to Sunday School at Trinity Presbyterian Church. Um, okay, so uh, this is our last Sunday School for a little while, um, and uh, the timing is just about right because this is our last um, installment with, the, uh, with our series on God's Word. Um, we... Uh, as you know, we have been studying uh, the doctrine of God's word and different aspects of it and things like that. And I've been giving you different questions to think about uh, at the beginning of each one. And uh, the question we're going to be thinking about today is, when do I know when to separate? Yes, that'll be interesting. So let's have a word of prayer. And let's think about, um, and before we think about these things, let's ask the Lord to uh, direct us and give us wisdom. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we uh, come before you, um, grateful for uh, the gift you have given us in your word. We pray for wisdom today as we think about um, how we are to apply it, and uh, particularly how do we apply it in our church. And Lord, we pray uh, that you would give us um, not only wisdom, but humility as we think about these things, uh, that your spirit would work within us and speak to us through your word. We ask these things in your son's name. Amen. Um, All right, well, uh, separation. Um, Maybe some of you uh, maybe, maybe aren't clear about what I'm talking about. Um, and, uh, I didn't have a handout today, and I didn't have a handout today for uh, a few reasons. One of the main reasons is I want this last Sunday school to be, uh, if you take notes, that's fine, but maybe just something you listen to and think about. Um, I don't want to distract you too much with filling in blanks on this one, uh, but maybe, I don't know, maybe I should have, uh, but, uh, For those of you that have been faithful with filling out those blanks, uh, I appreciate it. And those of you that haven't, well, we're still praying for you. Okay. Um, So separation. Uh, There's a few of you that might know that I'm still uh, working on my degree at Westminster Theological Seminary. Uh, and, uh, And sometimes I even feel like there's hope. Uh, But uh, if you know anything about Westminster, Westminster Seminary uh, is a result of separation. Uh, There was this guy named J. Gresham Machen, and he was a faculty member at uh, at Princeton. And uh, Princeton was the arm, uh, the educational arm of uh, the Presbyterian Church in the U.S., Uh, what we would know as PCUSA today. Um, And he uh, began to notice that within that denomination, uh, they were beginning to slip away from uh, Scripture, um, a reliance on it and and interpreting it the way even the confession asks us to. And as he saw that happening, he began to raise his voice and begin, began to fight. And he fought for a while. Um, it got to the point where fighting became uh, untenable. Uh, they were uh, hostile towards him. And um, he left the PCUS and started what's called today the OPC, the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. And in doing so, he also started a little school called Westminster in Philadelphia, uh, not accidentally close to uh, Princeton. And uh, he wanted to demonstrate that this can be done uh, in accordance with God's word. And there are some ups and downs with that school, but I think they're on track now. (laughs) Um, But... uh, What am I getting at? I'm getting at that there was um, a point at which there had to be a walking away from the denomination. Um, 
The PCUS was not saying that conservatives are no longer welcome. They loved conservatives. They were nice. They're nice to have around. Uh, they were just saying uh, we should also include people uh, that deny parts of Scripture. <laughs> I can put it that way. Uh, that's probably not very generous of me, but uh, I'm not a generous person typically. So uh, that was the story. Okay, the story always ends up uh, within um, within these places that tend to go liberal. The liberals are not saying that uh, that the conservatives are no longer welcome. They just say we need a bigger umbrella to include the rest of us liberals. If you want to be a conservative, you're welcome to do that in your own little world. But uh, Machen was not willing for that to happen. Okay, separation. So the question is, what does Scripture say about this sort of thing? Uh, this comes up because we just had a lesson last week on clarity of Scripture. And when things are very, very clear and people deny those, those things, then we tend to uh, have to fight. And we fight and fight until we find that that fight is no longer going to be uh, tenable. And then you're faced with the need to separate. So the question is, does Scripture talk about separating? Or is that something left over from those old fundamentalists of the old days? Right? Um, in fact, Machen was uh, often uh, thought of as a fundamentalist. Why was he thought of as a fundamentalist? Because he separated, right? Now, he didn't like that uh, term very much, but it had other connotations back then. So, as it probably does today. <laughs> okay, uh, so what does Scripture say? I'm going to go through a few Scriptures. You're welcome to turn with me uh, to those things. Uh, I might get to them sooner since I printed them out. <laughs> uh, Matthew 7.15. Matthew 7.15, Christ speaks of, uh, of false prophets. And he says, Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. And he goes on to say that eventually you know, people will come before God. After their, uh, after their death comes the judgment, they come before God and they will say, Lord, Lord, and they will even make arguments. Didn't I do this for you? Didn't I do that for you? And the Lord will say, depart from me. You are doers of iniquity. So what is that uh, getting at? Um, how do I put this? Uh, what, what is Christ talking about in that situation? Are we talking about uh, false prophets that are out there somewhere far away from the church. Is that what he's talking about? Is he talking about, well, I'm in my church, but out there I know there's these really uh, bad people on the internet, and those bad people on the internet uh, need to be dealt with, but in my church it's all fine. Or uh, what does this sheep's clothing thing have, uh, have to do with anything, do you think? Men in, in the room? <laughs> Okay, yeah, so Ben says, uh, this is not someone that's from the outside of the church that then comes in as a guest speaker and says something crazy and people say, get out of here. Uh, this is someone within the church who has put on um, the clothing, or if I can put it this way, kind of puts on the culture of that church so that he looks friendly and everything seems okay and what he says seems to be right, but really underneath, he is a wolf. What he's and what Christ is talking about are people who do not know the Lord. These are unsaved men who try to get into the church, try and lead the church to their father, who is whom? The devil, right? That's what Christ uh, even even says specifically in John, right? 
that they have a father, and their father is the devil, and they don't want people following uh, the father in heaven. They want them following the father that they, that they follow, which is Satan. Okay, Romans 16. So our first uh, idea is that uh, sometimes these are going to be unsaved men who have uh, gotten into the church. Romans 16, 17 through 18. Romans 16, 17 and 18. Now I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you learned. And turn away from them. For such men are slaves, not of our Lord, our Lord Christ, but of their own appetites. I want you to think about that. I'm going to read that again. I want you to think about what Paul is warning these people about. I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teachings which you learned. So these dissensions and hindrances are not dissensions as in someone is raising their voice against something and they're causing a disturbance. The dissension and the hindrances are from teaching, uh, are contrary to the teaching which you learned. Okay, so the disturbance is not someone that raised their voice against heretics, but it's the heretic who, who raises these contrary teachings to what you have learned. It says, a turn away from them. For such men are slaves. Now we know in Romans 6 that Paul says to be a slave to righteousness. Basically be a slave to the Lord, not a slave to your sin. But he says these people are not slaves to Christ. These people are a slave to their own appetites. And by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. So these are people that begin to teach a contrary uh, doctrine than what they have learned. These are essential doctrines, right? These aren't the tiny things. These aren't the small things. These aren't even the things that are pretty important but remain unclear or unobvious. These are essential things where Scripture has been clear and foundational things that would disrupt the very doctrine that we hold to in, as in Christianity and these people are slaves to their appetites to the point where they would deny those things. And these people that are slaves to their appetites are not bumblers. Uh, they don't uh, speak like Paul admitted he spoke, where he said, I don't have very much skill in speaking. I'm not very good at it. Right? He says that in 1 Corinthians. Instead, these are guys that are really good at, at speaking. They're smooth. Um, they, uh, they know how to really grab you. They got the story that leads to the good application that really gets to your heart, and you're like, whoa, that is incredible. Those guys, right? These guys would be people that uh, whoever, whoever is in charge of uh, filling up the TED Talk uh, roster, they'd want to get a hold of these guys, right? Um, that really know how to get that essential idea across in a really compelling way. Um, those kind of guys. Uh, Galatians chapter 1, 6 through 11. Okay, Galatians 1, 6 through 11. We probably won't go through all those, but we'll start at verse 6. Now, so far, uh, we know that we need to be aware of people that are unsaved who then uh, put on our culture as Christians to try and deceive us. There are people that are slaves of their appetites that try to deceive. Galatians 1, 6, Paul says this, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ 
for a different gospel, which is really not another. Only there are some who are disrupting you or disturbing you uh, and want to distort the gospel of Christ. So here we have some uh, people that are trying to present a distorted gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. Okay. So this is pretty serious charges, right? These are serious charges that are uh, being levied against the people that are presenting a different gospel. And again, this is a deceitful way of getting people on board with a different gospel. This means they're going to appeal to something that will, um, that will tempt others to accept it. What are some ways people tempt others to accept new ideas? Uh, oftentimes, they allow, um, they allow you to feel, and I know this sounds small, but it's not small. They allow you to feel smart. They allow you to feel smart. What they'll do is they'll pit two ideas against each other, show one to be old-fashioned, weak, not really up-to-date with the science and the technology of today and the way we think today, and the other one that's much more advanced, accepting into our culture, accepting into the wisdom of science and things like that, and they say, this one, I have a way for you to get to this one, where people won't say you're old-fashioned and weird anymore. People will see you as caring and loving, okay? This is the way those, that smooth speech happens, is the way people are deceived. Uh, they're deceived because the speaker who is presenting the different gospel knows that if I present a different gospel right out, people are not going to accept it. But if I present this gospel in such a way that then makes them feel more enlightened, more accepted by the culture more in tune with the hearts and love of others, well, that way, a different gospel might sound very appealing. And it might not even seem like a different gospel at all. Maybe it's just those, old, those people from the old days might seem backwards, but today, uh, we really got it right. Ephesians 5.11. Ephesians 5.11. I want you to see what the Lord is, uh, through his word, is warning people about. Um, these are big doctrines where we are talking about another gospel. We are talking about people that are controlled by their appetites, not controlled by Christ. Ephesians 5.11, do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. So this is taking a step even further. You're not just to, merely to avoid uh, people like this. People that bring a different kind of gospel. People that are trying to make Christianity something it isn't. Someone trying to introduce a seed that seems quite, um, quite small at the time, maybe even insignificant at the time, but can grow to a tree of heresy, if I can put it that way. And you're not supposed to merely avoid them, but you're supposed to expose them. And what does that exposure do? It shows love to the other brothers not to be deceived by this. Don't give in to the pride that they are feeding on to try and get you to believe this. It is a showing of love. 2 Peter 2, starting at verse 1. 2 Peter 2, starting at verse 1. Peter talks here about false prophets. But false prophets also arose among the people just as there were also, uh, just as there will also be false teachers among you, 
who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master, speaking of the Lord, who brought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Many will follow their uh, sensuality. And because of them, the way of the truth will be maligned. Once you get the idea here of how this is becoming, we see appetites. We see that some of these uh, ideas of changing the gospel is to, um, is to appeal to those that you are uh, trying to get to follow your heresy, and that they, there are talks of not just appetite, but sensuality and things like that. So what am I getting to? When it comes to separation, um, it always involves some aspect of God's word that we have talked about in the past few weeks. It tends to talk about clarity. Um, First of all, Uh, When it comes to clarity, false teachers will often take something that is clear and try and show that it is not clear. I'll give you an example. 1 Timothy 2, 12 through 13. But I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over men, but to remain quiet. And just in case you might be thinking he was talking about just that one church in Ephesus and not talking about any other church, he says, how do I know that this is true? I know it's true because of Betty, right, in Ephesus, right? Isn't that how the next verse goes? Betty in Ephesus was acting a little crazy, so he just shut down all the women in Ephesus. No, that's not it, is it? Uh, No, he refers to Eve and goes to the root of... Um, femaleness, right? And how there's an order that the Lord put in his church. Well, that's pretty clear. So what happens? Uh, Oftentimes, people take something that is quite clear, and if I could add this, clear and obvious, and then say, well, this isn't really clear. Maybe we need an entire study on this. Uh, Maybe Paul... Uh, wasn't clear enough, so let's get a group of people together and really try and figure this out because it's so unclear and unobvious to us. Uh, 1 Corinthians 6.9 says, uh, talking about people who will not uh, enter the kingdom of God, uh, says this, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals. Well, that seems pretty obvious and pretty clear. The only way to make that unobvious is to get rid of the word effeminate, because that's pretty offensive. So we'll try and find a way to get rid of that. Maybe we'll say, oh, that has to do with some kind of... Uh, sexual intercourse, and the other word, homosexuality, has another idea of intercourse. So it's really saying the same thing, so it's really talking about the act. Uh, Okay, (laughs) right? Uh, When you know that someone really has a tap dance really hard to get around something obvious, you know something is up. Unless they can appeal to something that you want. This is something I learned uh, moving from Uh, teaching ideas to selling things. (laughs) Uh, I went from being a teacher to uh, being in in the corporate world of selling stuff. And and part of the idea of selling stuff is to, uh, in the most honest way you can, help them understand they have a need. And that your product fulfills that need. Right? Um... And that is the only way I can think of that you're going to sell anything. So there's a dishonest way to sell where you try to convince them they have a need that they really don't have and that your product will fulfill that need (laughs) that they really don't have, right? Um, Or you really have something that they do need 
And there is a, really, a real need there, right? But the, the main idea is if you want someone to, to take on something that they at first might be resistant to, one way to get them to get rid of that resistance is to convince them that they have a need. Christians are prideful people. Uh, wolves understand that Christians are prideful people. And when you see a weakness like that, you can't just let it sit there. you got to do something with it, right? You have this very prideful group, right? Especially, and if I can say this as a member, especially in the Reformed world, where we are quite proud of our educational systems, right? We think of the Baptists as, well, you know, they have pastors, and you do, all you need is, you know, even very little education, maybe even none, and they just... You know, they just become pastors. But us, oh, the reformed. Why, we require seminary. <laughs> and they will be educated. So uh, we have this very strong uh, system of education, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with education. But when it becomes a source of pride, you can really do something with that, right? What's the use of education if everyone out there thinks you're an idiot? Well, we got to, you know, hey, everybody, there's a way that you can be someone that the world looks at and says, these guys, oh, these are the enlightened ones. These are the ones, and look, I can even take it from education to love. These are the ones that really love the sinner, right? That really want to reach out and care for the sinner. And one of the ways we can do that is showing our love by not being bigots towards them. Now, one way that we show our bigotry is when we start saying mean things that the Bible really doesn't even, even talk about. I mean, you talk about effeminate people. Well, who are we to say who's effeminate and who's not? And even this idea of effeminacy, what's wrong with femaleness? Are we saying being a female is bad? <sighs> so small-minded. Here's something that you need. Let's get rid of this thing that seems pretty clear in Scripture and turn it around so you're not so dumb, right? So you're more enlightened and you realize that we can reach out to these people because really the Bible doesn't speak against them at all. As long as they don't participate in it, right? I mean, that's the real thing. Um, having the desire, having that culture, well, that's fine, right? See how open-minded I've just made you. There was a need you didn't even know you had. And that's acceptance from the world. <laughs> okay. So, this is one way to do it. Where you take something that is clear in Scripture and you say, well, it's not so clear. Another way is viewing the modern culture as authoritative. Instead of Scripture being authoritative. Now, you would never say those words because that would be crazy. But what you could say is that the world provides us with a better understanding of our situation. And the Bible was written at a particular time where there was less information. And so we're not saying the Bible isn't authoritative, but we are saying that we have better information now. See where I'm going with that? Do you see how that works? Another way this is done is that Scripture um, is to demonstrate that Scripture is not sufficient for today. It's necessary, it's important. I mean, how else would you get saved? How else would you know about Jesus? And he's still pretty important. But, you know, the Bible's not a science textbook. Right? The Bible doesn't tell us about the ins and outs of the cell or uh, the cellular molecular uh, structures of, of how things work or even the chemical uh, idea that all things physical are chemical, it doesn't go into all that. It doesn't even tell us what a chemical is or what chemical bonding is, anything like that. So it's this kind of a, it's a little antiquated, and we still need it, but it's antiquated, right? Uh, so when it says that God created the world in six days, and it says the morning and the evening was one day, and it uses the word day, uh, we can't really know what that means. Right? Because it's not sufficient for all the stuff. right? So we're not sure what all that really means. We can't even be sure if we know what Adam was. I mean, maybe Adam is really just talking about this. 
he represents the group Israel. Maybe that's what all that's about. So Adam really wasn't a person because how do you have a person when you have evolution making everything? When does the first real person end up? That's really hard to know. And then you already have all these sentient beings already there. And then you have this person named Adam by the time, you know, you have a guy that's, you know, stands fully, you know, up and has a mind that's truly thinking on the right level. Then we have an Adam. But who, what about all those other, I mean, there's got to be thousands and millions that are already sentient beings. What do we do with them? We're not sure. Adam is really just Israel. It's not really a person. Which means Paul didn't know that Adam really wasn't a person. Paul seemed to think so, and Jesus seemed to think so. But that's because they didn't have all the information, you see, people. You see, how, you see where I'm going with this? This is what's happening today, right? This is what happened in the PCUSA. It's why... Uh, I don't even know why you would go to church anymore. Uh, it doesn't really make sense. They don't really believe in very much. But they still allow for conservatives. The umbrella is big, right? Um, another, and so then another way they do this is scripture is not inerrant, right? Uh, they don't believe that scripture holds to the truth of everything it says. And so if there are mistakes in Scripture, then really uh, you need a different measurement. Isn't that true? I mean, if, if there are any mistakes in Scripture, then the thing that, called, uh, that made the mistake obvious is the thing we're using to measure Scripture. So whatever that thing is that we're using to measure Scripture then becomes the authority over Scripture. Right, and a lot of times it's yourself or something you found comfort in outside of Scripture. Because wouldn't it be crazy to think Scripture would be the authority in a world where we're so advanced in science, right? Or so advanced in our thinking culturally as to how we should believe concerning things like uh, homosexuality and things like that. Now, why am I bringing all this up? I'm bringing all this up because uh, <clears throat> to finish our lessons in Scripture uh, and God's Word, it is important for us to have some uh, clear understanding on why it is our family is what it is. What am I talking about? We are about to come together again. Uh, if you can put it this way, a family reunion and uh, families are uh, all different. I mean, the Rathbun family, um, we're a weird little group. I'll tell you, we are a weird little group. We have uh, uh, my, my adopted kids are going to grow up with older parents. I mean, no one will know it with April, obviously, because she still looks very young, but I don't. People are going to look at me and they're going to say, Jude, why is your dad so old? <laughs> why did he marry such a young wife? Um, and uh, that's going to be Jude and Libby's uh, life, right? Uh, because, you know, things turned out weird in our family. Um, we have little traditions and reasons why we are the way we are and all that sort of thing. That's the way family is. Um, but what we do in our family is we stay informed about our family. We care about our family. And there's love in our family. Uh, we want to stay informed about our family because we want to know how we can pray for each other so we know how to care for each other and we know how to love each other. Um, we're all about to get back together as a family. Um, and our church, as a family, has, uh, is a part of a presbytery. And it's an unusual little presbytery. And I think um, we need to be more involved in praying about it, being informed about it, so that we know how to care for each other better. Uh, for instance, one thing that's unusual about our presbytery is that within our presbytery, we have churches that are, um, that are Reformed Baptist churches. So we have uh, churches in our presbytery 
that don't baptize babies. In our church, we baptize babies. Uh, it is, we believe, it is a clear uh, doctrine. But here's my question, is it obvious? It's clear, uh, otherwise we wouldn't believe it. <laughs> otherwise the word Presbyterian wouldn't be a very uh, popular word. But it is because we believe it's clear. But is it obvious? If I were to ask any member in our church to come up here right now and explain to us through Scripture why it is that we baptize babies, how well would you do? <laughs> would you be able to give to us the nuances of the continuity between old and new covenants that would then necessitate the continuity between the sacraments in the Old and New Testaments to show us that there is continuity between uh, the, the sacrament of circumcision and the sacrament of baptism, and how that then relates back to the, the genre of the covenant of grace that we have throughout the entire, uh, the whole of Scripture. Do you understand what I just said? Okay, good. There's, there might be some of you that do, and that's good. That's good. Um, when the Westminster Divines developed uh, the Westminster Confession of Faith, they say under baptism, after they talk about uh, that someone ought to be baptized after they're a believer, and their, and their children too. The next one is 28.5, where it says, Although it be a great sin... To condemn or neglect this ordinance, yet grace and salvation are not so inseparably annexed to it. What's it getting at? It's saying that although it's a, it would be a great sin to neglect baptism, uh, our salvation doesn't rest on it. Right? That's the point of that. Um, what, who are they referring to, do you think, during their context of writing this? Has anyone studied that? Okay. Um, so, yeah, they were making a, a strong statement about what baptism does and what it doesn't do. They're also talking about a group of people that neglected the ordinance altogether, that neglected baptism altogether. Do any of you know of a Baptist that neglects baptism altogether? It says, yeah, when someone gets saved, when my child uh, you know, gives a confession of faith, uh, we don't baptize. I don't know of any. Uh, somehow, we ha uh, somehow, it has been thought that this uh, particular statement is making a statement about people that neglect uh, baby baptism. And I suppose you could try and make that work but what it's really getting at is a group of people that neglected altogether because back then the big battle was church membership. Church membership. People were not baptizing at all because then that would be a membership into a church and they were trying to avoid that. So um, what am I getting at here? When we talk about... Uh, this particular view. Um, this might be raw for some of you, and I understand that. Um, but this is also why there are no Presbyterian churches that I'm aware of, no denominations that I'm aware of, that then disciplines people that have a, a more Baptist view of, um, of baptism. For instance, if you were to go to our uh, brothers over at uh, the OPC Church in Taylors, South Carolina. Um, there are many members there who do not baptize their babies because they have not gotten there yet. Maybe they won't get there, but they're members of that church. In other words, the pastor does not uh, think that it is a horrible sin and therefore these people need to be disciplined. Um, is it a clear doctrine? Absolutely. Is it obvious? Not obvious enough that you would take that kind of a stand and call these people false prophets, uh, people who are 
um, slaves to their own appetites, people who preach a different gospel. Because that's what Scripture says you should separate from. Right? Um, If you believe that someone that uh, wants to delay baptism but still finds it extremely important, but wants to delay it until they hear a confession of faith, is preaching another gospel. If you think that these are wolves in sheep's clothing, if you think these are people that are uh, slaves to their own appetites and that they ought to be exposed and that they are uh, also part of those that are uh, false teachers who are uh, wrapped up in their own sensuality, if that's what you think, then you need to go and protest to the PCA, the OPC, and almost every uh, Presbyterian denomination out there and say, the members of your church should not receive, should not be members, and they should not receive uh, any kind of uh, sacrament until they repent. Uh, But we don't do that, uh, because if you really believe that someone who holds to this view is a false prophet, then you need to start your own denomination, which would probably be a lot closer to an occult than anything else. Because although this is clear to to different groups, it is not obvious. And it is not a different gospel. Now why do I say all that? Because our church uh, recognizes brothers. That though we disagree on uh, this point, we do not think that they are preaching another gospel. We do not think they are false teachers. We do not think they are wolves. We do think that there are people in denominations who are trying to do this, who are trying to make homosexuality a norm, who are trying to actually preach another gospel that includes a homosexual acceptance that goes into what sin is and violates the doctrine of sin that we have held as Reformed believers all the way back to Augustine. That is not just your will that is depraved. It is all of you. That's why we have this little term called total depravity. The gospel that is being preached by these men in the PCA is that Uh, the only sin you could commit is one that you willfully commit. Being in the state of sin is not a sin. But we're okay with that, as long as they're baptizing their babies. What I'm getting at is we are about to come together as a family. And... um, And we have just gone through a time where we have uh, entered into a denomination, and I know that there were uh, different feelings one way or the other. But I want you to understand that we are coming together uh, as an unusual family that understands the true idea of separation and is excited about who we get to reach out to and love. Um in a biblical way. And in that, we do not want to cause the kind of divisions that 1 Corinthians 1.12 talks about. 1 Corinthians 1.12, where you have men in the church who are following, well, I'm of Paul, and I'm of Apollos, and I'm of Cephas, and of course there's always that one person that says, well, I am of Christ. Right? I beat you all. I have the, the, the trump card on that one. Um, And what's funny is that even under inspiration, it says, yeah, those guys too. Right, those guys too. Um, Because what are they doing? They're taking something that might be clear but is not obvious, and they are saying, this guy got it right. No, this guy got it right. And they start these uh, divisions. They're not talking about wolves here. They're not talking about people that are slaves to their own appetites that are trying to deceive the church. They're not talking about people that is mentioned in all these verses. They're talking about people that have different points of view 
And now we try to rally each other against each other to get our really important point of view across. As a family, we want to be aware and informed about why we're doing what we're doing so that we can care for each other. In other words, know how to participate in keeping our unity together and loving each other. You understand there are people that you might be sitting next to in this church that might not understand or even get why we're baptizing babies and things like that. Um, how do we love each other? How do we love each other knowing what is clear, knowing what is obvious, and that in our loving each other, it takes participation. It takes being informed. It takes care. And what uh, Paul wants to warn us about is not to try and beat each other with things uh, that might be important, but can they be your brother and sister? Yes. Is it so obvious that they should get it? I don't think it is that obvious. So how do we love each other? How do we know what kind of a family we have? Have we, ha have we been thinking about what's coming up in June? Are we aware that in June we have a presbytery? Are you aware that this presbytery is young? Are you aware that within this presbytery are different points of view, but points of view that we can welcome as brothers? Do you think that way of the people in the pew next to you? Have you been praying for us? Have you been praying? And this is why I want you to really think about, have you been praying for the success of our presbytery? Have you been praying uh, for the things that your pastor is involved in? Are you aware that there is a school that we are, that we are trying to get going online called New, oh, <laughs> New Geneva? Are you praying for that? Are you aware that your pastor is the president of it? Have you been thinking about any of these things? This is our family. We need to know what our family is involved in so we know how to pray about it, care about it by participating in it. Prayer is part of that participation. Maybe there's more participation you can do. But this is how we show love for each other because love covers a multitude of sins. Even sins that you think might be against you. Did you know that... Uh, Spurgeon had many, many people helping him out in his ministry who were paedo-baptists, people that baptized babies, like us. Did this concern Spurgeon? Apparently not, because he understood that there needed to be room for this. He understood that although it might be clear to him, it's not obvious. So as we come together, um, I want us to come together thinking about how we can love each other best through our unity in Christ, by the power of his word, because of the work of the Holy Spirit, showing the love of the Father to each and every person that we come into contact with next week. Next week is exciting. I am super excited about it because we're finally going to be able to sit in the same room together in love. And a love that I hope is informed and excited about what we're trying to do here and excited about what kind of a family you have. This is your family. We're a little weird. We have weird people going here. I know we do because I go here. And so... <laughs> How much can you be informed about it so that you can participate in your care for it?
Let's not just enjoy each other's company. Let's participate in the love we can have for each other through prayer, through finding out what's going on in our denomination so that we can can even maybe help out and maybe even get involved in each other's lives even more now than we ever have before. Before, we took a lot for granted. We enjoyed each other because we came on Sunday and we enjoyed those things, but maybe we need to enjoy it even more deeply now. Where we start getting involved in each other's lives. We start getting concerned about each other and caring. It's something I need to work on. I am really good at enjoying people and then leaving. (laughs) I need to get better at enjoying people and getting involved in their lives, caring for them the way they need to be cared for, and loving them to the point where even if there are things that might be different than me, that I love them so much that that love covers all that. It's not important. What's important is that person, and how can I love them best? So let that be the mantra that we have as we come together next week, Under the unity of Christ, because of the power of God's word, through the work of the Holy Spirit, trying to mimic the love of the Father to each other. Let's let that be our prayer as we come together next week. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we are grateful to you for the work that you have done in our church, in this denomination that we belong to. Let our family come together next week. Uh, happy to be a family, uh, accepting all the quirks and strangeness of our, fr- of our family, and that the love we have for each other covers a multitude of the differences we might have and even the sins we might have against each other. Let us uh, be able to put those things aside because of our interest and care for each other through the work of Christ. Lord, we ask these things as we come uh, to worship uh, you, Lord, now. Let the words of Andrew be the words of the Spirit that we might be able to bow our hearts before it, repent, and be able to face our weak as holy people. Lord, we ask these things in your Son's name. Amen.